Welcome to Exhumed, an underground retrospective of arts and culture in the late 20th century. I'm your host, James Wallace. On today's show, my good friend Neil Hepburn and I discuss the influence that horror movies had on our childhood. So sometimes it's our initial emotional impressions when we're watching a certain type of film, especially when we're younger. Um, so you were telling me um, a story about, I think it was Zach Cherry and what, um, in, you know, the, the sort of the comedic moment that was most uh, profound to him when he was younger. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to this podcast. It was, uh, I think it was Pete Holmes's podcast. And he asked like the standard question to all his guests, which is like, when was the time you remember laughing the hardest? And Zach Cherry, uh, by the way, Zach Cherry, he's been in some Marvel movies like Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. And he was, I think late, the latest thing he was on, it was like Severance, uh, Succession, I think he was on. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He says, oh, I can tell you exactly when that time was. It was like, I saw this movie. It was Scary Movie 3. And there was like this, this scene where, and already, by the way, Zach Cherry, I respect him as a comedian, but that movie, Scary Movie 3, not so great. Never saw it. I don't think I ever will. And he's talking about some stupid scene involving a spoof of million dollar baby where like the boxer becomes paralyzed and then the ref becomes paralyzed and everybody's slipping and falling anyway it sounded kind of dumb to me when he's telling the story but he was like he said at that time it just hit my funny bone the right way and i was like on the floor i could hardly breathe and the thing is i can kind of relate i can kind of say oh you know there's a bad comedy movie out there and it, like it made me laugh super hard then at some level it kind of succeeded and i and i think that like with horror it's even more so because if there's something that really hits you hard in a horror movie, it hits you more than just in that moment, like it does in the comedy. It, it stays with you. And, and sometimes it can stay with you for your entire life. And, um, you know, it reminded me of this, this movie that I saw when I was a kid. And, and um, uh, you know, I, we've, we've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll tell the story again. I used to get up early for Saturday morning cartoons and a uh, big, big fan of Santa Monica Jones. And you start to get earlier and you, you know, they start to roll run the old 1960s, like Rocket Robin Hood and that kind of, that kind of more stuff, older stuff. And then I thought, oh, I'll just go even earlier and earlier because I just, you know, I was a kid and all that. And one day I woke up, I think at like four in the morning and I went downstairs and it really hadn't started any cartoons. It was still basically watching, like showing movies from the previous night. And I had stumbled, like, I'm going to say about 10 minutes into this movie, which uh, it's called Whoever Slew Mary Lou. And you can look it up on IMDb or you can just rent it or whatever. I think it came out in the mid 70s. Um, you, you probably remember some of these facts better than I do. Um, and I didn't know what movie I was watching. I had no idea what I was watching, but but there were kids in the scene. And. I think that's what kept me watching because of course being a kid you you know anything with kids in it and the, the the actions around the kids you can sort of follow along with and the reason the kids were in this movie was that it was essentially a horror movie about it was essentially a modern retelling of hansel and gretel and it was done in in this this it was i think it was a british movie if i'm not yeah. mistaken i could be wrong um you've seen it more recently than i have i don't know if it's british or not but anyway go ahead, I, again, go ahead. Yeah. yeah so what happened was I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler here, but the the woman who is, I guess, the equivalent of the witch in Hansel and Gretel, um, you know, she lures these kids into their house or she keeps them there and she she keeps them there with all of these, um, not so much like treats like candy and whatnot, but just this kind of magical place that the kids are entranced by. Um, and the reason she does this is that she wants to surround, it's not just two kids, she actually wants to surround herself with as many kids as possible. And then, of course, you find out as the, the big twist near the end is that she had a, a child of her own who died at a very young age, maybe like one or two. And she kept the skeleton of this child under her bed. Mm -hmm. And there's this big reveal where the kids go into her room and they find this this coffin under her bed and they pull it out and they open it up. And you see this child sized skeleton there. And it the funny thing is, I don't even entirely remember watching it at that time but I came back years later and I and by the way it took me forever to even figure out this movie we spent years trying to find this movie we could never do it and then 
um, through the magic of the internet, we were able to find, I was able to find it. I went back, I watched again, and I had forgotten basically visually what the movie was like. I sort of loosely remembered the plot, but that was it. And I hit the scene again with this, with the skeleton. And I realized in this moment that I had these recurring nightmares with this skeleton, this exact image. And I never knew where it came from. But in this moment, I just it just sent these chills down my spine as an as an adult that holy crap, this this is where this comes from. And I do remember being kind of scared as as a kid at the time when I was watching that. Um, and maybe at the time I would have said something like that, but I had completely forgotten everything. And yet that movie had was was in my mind at some level, um, you know, even to this day. So I just I just thought it was like it just kind of made me realize like the power of horror. And it's it's not like a joke or something. It's like this aesthetic. It's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. It's like it, it could be words. It could be something somebody said. It could be like a single frame. It could be some, you know, just a little like two seconds of, of, of motion or whatever. But um, I think this is an aspect of horror that doesn't really get explored enough is that it can have these like really searing effects on you and still be like not necessarily a great movie. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I remember my earliest impression of seeing a horrific image. And I think what I must have been seeing. So we were in um, the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia. Remember my sister saying we actually only had four channels. I guess this would have been the late 70s when I was about three, four, five. I'm not sure exactly. But I remember seeing on the television um, a vampire coming at someone but it was in what was freaky about it it was actually like in the daytime it looked like or at least it was well lit and what i think i saw i'm assuming if it was on during the daytime was probably reruns of dark shadow and it was probably the main vampire character in dark shadow i remember seeing that as a kid and it freaked me out the other thing that i remember why I would get freaked out by the dark and stuff like that is, um, and this is something I sort of thought was cool. I didn't really understand it at the time, but I had a neighbor up the road who came in and said, I've got something for you. And he, he pulled out a newspaper clipping and it was the four faces of kiss. Now I realize now this is when their solo albums were released, but the Gene Simmons character, which he called me was called demon. I didn't really know. I had never heard the music or anything like that at the time, but I remember at night sitting in my bed and seeing this image of that Gene Simmons character, the painted face with, you know, it kind of looks freaky that having a deep impression on me. But I, I, my experience with horror, yeah. In terms of searing into your imagination, we have to go back to when, I guess it would have been the summer between the two of us. This would have been the summer of 1983, I believe, between uh, grade four and grade five for us. So at the time, it was just myself and my father, and, I, and you were being allowed to sleep over. And you had pulled out the TV guide and said that um, The Exorcist is on. And it just said, you. I remember you reading the blurb, and I guess it was called Broadcast Weekly in, in Toronto. And it was called, uh, you said it guaranteed to give nightmares. Now, I had, I can't even remember now if I had seen many horror movies before this. I think I had. I think I had seen um, maybe some of the early universal horrors and things like that. I had heard about some horror. My mom was usually pretty strict about not letting me watch certain things. But I guess because my dad was there, he's like, whatever, go ahead and watch it. So we're sitting in the basement together. And I am so beyond freaked out by this thing. And we don't even get through the whole film. But what you're talking about, the image, where you're talking about the who slew Mary Lou and the collapsing corpse and that really imprinting something on your psyche that you kind of never forget. Um, the dream sequence um, that Linda, that the, uh, the priest, who's played by Jason Miller, goes through. And this is still one of the best films, like the, one of the most surreal moments that really kind of shows a dream and a nightmare is um, the character, his mother has died. who was an elderly woman. She was a Greek woman, didn't really speak English. And she felt guilt. The priest feels guilty because she gets put in some hospital and she kind of dies in there. And it's just a terrible situation. But she she's walking up the um, the stairs 
of a, of a, like a subway. And then he's running to meet her. And then she, she'll turn around and go back down, meaning like, oh, he wants his mother back, but then she's gone. He feels guilty about it. But there's this flash of this white face just for like a couple of seconds. And it, it's like, so it's a jump scare, but the, the image itself. Now, remember when we were older, we actually paused it on the video and it's a freaky image. And what we, we learned from the research is, is actually the actor, Jason Miller, having his face painted white and just flashing there. And that was so freaky because it was so much like an actual dream. And I, I, I remember, I, I don't really remember dreams well, but I remember that was the kind of thing I would see in a dream that would freak me out where I'd wake up, right? Then there are two other scenes. One scene where she um, she starts growling when they're having, she, he's, they're trying to hypnotize her and she's, and she's growling and she turns all white. And then there's the scene that, you know, that was it for me. We didn't get through the film when she um, is in the room and she does a 180 with her head. Now that's been used in a lot of comedic stuff since then, but, and, and she takes on there. And then they had this, um, there's this character who's a British guy who's a, supposed to be the director of this film that the mom's an actress who stars in. And she's actually speaking in that guy's voice. I didn't realize at the time, but as soon as I got to that, I took off out of our basement, my basement, and you, you came after me, right? But you hadn't been freaked out by that point. Like, for me, that was it. And after that, I don't think any horror movie even came close. I, I remember watching the full film the first time I kind of had to ease into it, where we had a, a crappy black and white TV in the, that we sometimes bring upstairs. So we could watch in a room and you'd have rabbit ears on it. And you can kind of get in some stations. But I remember getting in the station... Um, uh, from Buffalo and they showed it at like six o'clock on a Saturday. So I watched it in black and white and you had a really cool babysitter who actually told us about the whole horror movie. I think her name was Georgina. She used to tell us about different. Oh horror yeah. Movies. Georgina. We, we were always yeah. very, very intrigued by them. Yeah. And I heard a lot about horror movies from her. I remember. So I remember, remember seeing it there. So that, that horror film had like such a profound effect on me. And it, the thing is that, that was a game changer in the public too, because people would be there. People had heart attacks in the cinema, apparently. And people, yeah, I think, be, yeah, you're like, a good company when it comes to people getting freaked out. That's actually what it's kind of famous for. I thought, like, there were, oh, there were sure. doctors that going into movie theaters, and, and 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 the Pope even spoke about the devil. You know, I guess in '74, because that came out late '73, he did an address about the devil, and a lot of people said that that was the influence of, of the how how big a film The Exorcist was. Now, The Exorcist is an interesting film, and it comes in a long lineage of, of big, big directors and big, big releases. So The Exorcist is a very dark 70s film, and a lot of 70s films are, have got this darkness, but it's also, it's, it's a big mainstream 70s film, which is different from a lot of how we see horror sort of operate. Horror often operates a little bit more. It was William Friedkin that directed it, like the guy yeah, the French exactly. Connection. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's making the French Connection. And it has that 70s grittiness to it. And it's actually a very interesting film. So my wife, I remember showing it to her in South Korea and, it, you know, freaked the hell out of her. And so it was kind of funny because I'd been used to it. So I was like comforting her while she was getting freaked out by the scenes that I remember getting freaked out as by a kid. But we would show it sometimes to people in Korea. But the thing was, and this is not just for the Korean audience, this is every audience in the world with the way the nature of film has changed, is there's such a long buildup in that movie. So there's these really yeah. ominous things because it's actually interesting because the, the main head priest uh, played by the Swedish actor, oh, what's his name again? That's the Swedish actor who's in... He plays the old priest. Hold on. All right, maybe you could look it up. Anyway. Yeah, I'm just checking here. You, you keep talking. I, the name just escapes me now. Yeah. He, oh, Max von Sydow. That's it. Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow. He, yeah. He, he uh, visits northern Iraq. Um, and you see this, there's this image of these. Uh, the Pazuzu sort of, finds. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. yeah. That statue, that demonic statue. And then the you Pazuzu, get. yeah. Yeah. You get the um, the dogs fighting in front of it, and that was really really freaky. So it's there's these ominous build up to things before you actually get to the action. Well, 
Which, I want to pause for a second on that point because that's something actually I have a kind of a newfound respect for the Exorcist because you know I'm I'm, a, I'm become a bit of a history buff, especially like Bronze Age Mesopotamia. And the thing about Mesopotamia is like it has this really weird sort of pop culture reputation, which I've really realized centers around horror. And mm. Zuzu is like I would say one of the first mainstream attempts, but even um, Ghostbusters references a Mesopotamian Zul. It's actually not a real god, although Pazuzu was real. And I think there, there's something creepy about ancient Mesopotamia because it's pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, pre-all of that. And yet it had this sort of advanced society by our stand. Like, you know, the Hammurabi Code, for example, had, you'd have more women's rights than you did in 20th century, turn of 20th century America. So it's like, I think it throws a lot of people off. If you go on YouTube, you look up Sumerian, you find all these ancient alien type of videos. They just assume that they must have had visited by aliens or something because they were too advanced for their own good. Um, so I, I, for me, I think that kind of builds this kind of really deep, deep, deep backstory that not even the kind of medieval stuff goes to. I think Exorcist is like, no, no, let's let's get to the real right. creepy shit here. You but, know? but the thing with the Exorcist is now I don't know if this changes in the subsequent films, but. The the girl is actually supposed to be possessed by what we would the Christian Satan Lucifer the devil at least that's but I think the, that was the what they're saying Satan's even older than Christianity yeah that's yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so maybe Satan. yeah that's always and that's a, that's a whole thing about yeah like where where did yeah. it come from from the pre Christian religion it just but has it, this ancient feel to, there's something about ancientness and horror that I think work well together yeah like there's an yeah. ancient sort of story. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. And it's, yeah, it, but it's, um, but definitely having the devil in there. So the thing is that film is obviously very influenced by um, another film, which is Rosemary's Baby, right? Yeah. And Rosemary's Baby has a real, real creepiness to it as well. Because again, you've got this buildup and you've got this sort of conspiracy theory where everyone's sort of connected with uh, this evil that's going on. And there's this dream, again, another dream sequence where, um, she's basically having uh, sex with the devil and you kind of see this demonic image, but it's, it's hinted at, and you have this hint that maybe a bunch of people are watching and there's this cloud of smoke. And again, it's, it's, it's a really building of atmosphere. And that's what I found about the exorcist when they're, they're in the end of the film and they're trying to, you know, bring the demon or the devil out of, of the Gregan. There's this like mist in the room and there's all these sounds and, and this, I find that there's not just like the kind of jump scare, but there's this, ele- there's this ominous, creepy element that I've have found in a lot of modern horror that's been very hard to replicate. But obviously Exorcist is a real classic and a real game changer, but we can get freaked out by films that might not necessarily be the top quality film, but if we see it, especially when we're younger, like I feel like with The Exorcist, I was hit by a howitzer. Because that would have probably freaked me out if I was 18 years old, let alone like nine, right? But when you're a kid, as you were saying with Who Slew Mary Lou, now I've, I've seen that since then. It's a, it's a really cool film to watch. I recommend it. And yeah, it does have Shelley Winters and she's this American who was married to this English dude who's died. He's a magician and she's kind of inherited the house. And That's like, right. It was a magic. It was a magic house. Yeah. yeah they had yeah, magicians. He's, he's, he's got this sort of creepiness to the whole thing that you, you find with the 70s films. But those two kids are really quite devious too. So it's quite, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that, yeah. that that happens in the film. But when we have, um, when we have these early impressions of horror, just like, you know, the Gene Simmons face for me was kind of freaky. And now, you know, I love Kiss and whatnot. And I'm into that. But just seeing those images and whatever that, that maybe that Dark Shadows image, I wouldn't be scared of it now, but when you see it as a kid, you're scared. So you said you there's a couple of films that you'd saw that when you were very young, and this again kind of imprinted on your psyche this kind of uh, this kind of impression. Yeah, so kind of like pivoting a little bit, um, there was a movie that um, really kind of I, I guess it wasn't so much one particular. I can't actually recall there was one particular scene that really scared me, but I think it it it, um, it brought up an idea. So I think this is the other thing that horror can do if it's if it's really creative is it can kind of present to you an idea you hadn't really thought about before. But once you start thinking about it, 
it can really kind of knot you. Now, depending on the idea and the person, you know, I might just dismiss it immediately and go, that's stupid. I don't really care. But for mm. me, this one idea that the movie presented really got um, under my skin. And I'm going to try to defend this movie a little bit because I, I think, you know, most people will look at it as a joke. But I think it was um, – anyway, I'll just tell you what the movie was. So the movie is called Blood Beach. I think it came yeah. out in, like, the late 70s or early 80s. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that it was it was greenlit because it, it was, like, riffing off of the Jaws wave. So anything, that you know, going into the water. Um, there was that other movie, Piranha which, yeah. you know, was also riffing off of that. And so, you know, this idea of like some monster lurking in the water was popular, but Blood Beach, their little uh, innovation was you don't even have to go into the water. The beach itself will kill you. Yeah, that's and the reason I think it, it hit me is I had been primed at some level and probably by other movies. Um, I was very kind of fearful of quicksand and quicksand pits. Yeah. And, you know, there were a lot of there were so many movies in the 70s and even in the 80s that involved oh, 80s. people getting sucked into quicksand pits. And I didn't really think with quicksand is if you're a kid, you don't really. First of all, you, like, OK, so we grew up before the Internet where you could just go online and figure what things were. So if there was something that was sort of a little bit on the outside of, of science on, the, on just on the edge, mm -hmm. it was like it's there. Nobody's denying it. But then you ask grownups, like, what is quicksand? They don't know. And they just start making things up. So right. I asked my dad, I said, you know, do we, have, is there like, what is quicksand? He's like, oh, it's all over the place. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean? It's all over the place. I wouldn't worry. And I said, do you think there's quicksand in like the, um, like we live close to a bunch in Toronto, you have these massive ravine networks, yeah. basically kind of like a forest in your backyard. And, um, and so we were like, I just said to my dad, do you think there's quicksand in like in the ravines? He's like, oh, I'm sure there must be. And I was like, holy crap. So, you know, I, I started trying to find this quicksand. And actually, I think I did kind of find something. Uh, I don't know if I told you the story where it was really just thick mud I found. And it was yeah. like, I, I, I stepped in this really thick mud. And I was wearing these rain boots and they came off <laughs> and it went down maybe two feet or something like that. And I was like, you know, in my mind, it's like, wow, if I continued to stand there, would I just like sink into it and die? And that would be it or like, I don't know, but you just dramatize everything and you don't really know what's real and what's not. So I was primed for anything that was like playing off of this idea of quicksand. So when the movie comes on, I didn't again, this is before like there were no trailers or commercials like you're just like you're at the mercy of the director. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the movie and I don't really know what to expect. Now I hear the title Blood Beach. I'm imagining like another Jaws movie, basically, like they, they, you know, it's a shark that somehow or another gets up on the beach or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. But it wasn't that at all. And this the vision in my mind was they would always have these shots where it was like a little kid and he had like this shovel and he was playing with his pail and making a sandcastle. And then you just start to see like this kind of hole appear. Like the you'd see the grains of sand, like almost like an hourglass where like the grains yeah. of sand start to trickle down. And it was like one of those like perfectly subtle types of shots where it looks so small and insignificant at first. And then you see more sand and more sand. And then the kid who's making his sandcastle, he's really engrossed into a sandcastle. You know, the next thing you know, he falls backwards and he's gone into this, 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 this pit that just appeared out of nowhere, like a Sarlacc pit or something. And, and so right there, I was hooked. I was like, I was like, Oh my God. I, and I just, you know, I think Georgina was babysitting that night or something. So I, fortunately I was like, okay, I'm going to get to see this movie. Um, you know, no, no facts of life go to Paris situation here. Uh, just a sidebar, you know, yeah. facts of life go to Paris. I was watching that one night on a Saturday. There was no babysitter. It was just my parents. And they said, nine o'clock, you're going to bed. And I, I never to this day saw the second half of that movie. So that was really, <laughs> I don't know why, but that really bugged me. And I was like, nope, I'm watching this movie. There's nothing going to stop me from watching the, the rest of this movie. And as the movie progressed, it tapped into another phobia, or not so much phobia, but thing I just kind of like thought about a lot, which is monsters. So, you know, the thing with me and, and Jaws is like, you know, we didn't, we, if you grew up in Ontario, you don't really grow up on the ocean. You grew up on the Great Lakes or just mm. lakes. So lakes don't have sharks or piranhas or anything like that. Well, I guess they might have piranhas, but, but not up here. Not, not in this part of the world, <laughs> No, the only thing actually even remotely scary, you mentioned that sturgeon once we went to Bob Cage and I didn't even know what a sturgeon was. And you're like, you know, they have this giant fish. 
You might, you might get a, a you can get big pikes and muskies, but they, they don't. Bite. Yeah, but they're not gonna touch you. And like, and neither is I've never stir. heard about a fish encounter anywhere in Ontario. Like, I, I'd oh. say a snapping turtle would be your biggest uh, threat. You know, I think drowning but, is what the coldness of the water is what's the threat there. What's that? But anyway, anyway. Yeah. So but, going back to Bud Beach. Um, so for me, like in some ways, I found monsters to be scarier than something like a shark that was real. Um, because I just was like, I was into kind of Greek mythology when I was a kid and just anything that was like a monster um, was to me, like it just activated my imagination. So as the movie progresses, it finally becomes apparent that there's a monster that's doing this. And somehow this monster lives, I think in the sewer system in, in Los Angeles or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's going around and it's, it's basically just killing people. Now, if I think about this movie now, it's not that different from like, I guess a movie like Tremors. So yes. in some ways it was ahead of its time. If you look at those Tremors movies, which actually did quite well, but. Um, it, it, it's kind of different, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It, it kind of functioned a little bit different than Tremors, but yeah, it, it's, it's. Yeah. Kind of so I definitely get the horror concept more than Tremors does. Tremors is more of an action flick. Yeah. But, Tremors yeah. is an action flick. Yeah. So I think for me, the thing that was like, um, but it kind of, I wouldn't say scarred me, but after that movie was over, I was really kind of shaken and I just felt, I just said, I'm never going to a beach again. I'm not, like, that's it. And I was like, I told my parents, they're like, but what if we love going to, uh, you know, Lake Huron or Southampton or, you know, these places. And it's like, what are you telling me? We're not just going to this. And they just kind of mocked me a little bit. And, and at some level, I suppose that's kind of what snapped me out of it. They just, they just kind of laughed at the whole thing and said, come on, are you serious? You're not going to go to a beach. And I was like, you don't understand. You have to see this movie. You don't understand. And once you see this movie, you'll get it. And, you know, they never did because it was on TV and we couldn't rent movies back then. And, but I, I again, I, I, I um, it just, to me, it goes to show you that it is possible to like really thread that needle and come up with something that's original um, that sure we can all look at it as a bit of a joke, but you, Hey, whoever directed Bud Beach, you know, I, I salute you for, um, yeah. coming up with something that terrified a, a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I remember watching just the end of it where it's just like, they're killing the monster. And I thought, man, is this the film that this guy's talking about? But yeah, it, it definitely had a unique concept and it, it, there was quite a lot of sort of monster films and there's a lot of nature strikes back kind of movies that were, that were around in the late seventies for sure. And Blood Beach was probably both um, trying to cash in on the sort of, like you said, the Jaws and the Nature Strikes Back sort of themes, as, as also with the horror movie Boom, that was post-Halloween. So that's another movie that now I, I want to talk about because, I, again, I actually, I do want to mention one film that we hadn't planned to talk about, but sure. I I just remember right. it. I remember Before you go to that, you just remind me of another movie that did kind of freak me out as a kid. It just came to me right now. And I'll yeah. just mention it was Swarm. That was a nature yes. story. The killer yeah, that, so, so, yeah, Swarm with the, yeah, that's an uh, equivalent film. Yeah, that was sort of hyped in the media too. Like, yeah. There was a lot of hype around killer bees and I saw Swarm and it, it really freaked me out because again, it was like, this could happen, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, but there was a film with Peter Cushing called uh, Corruption. And I remember seeing it in at your place. And it's one of these uh, films about a plastic surgeon. Um, I, he, he, he's working on a, he's kind of doing this um, Frankenstein transplant of faces. I think I can't remember the full context of the film, but there's just these scenes where Peter Cushing is operating over everyone. He's got this really intense face. So there's like this close camera, like he's the one operating and you're getting the upshot. And I just remember this being quite freaky and I was watching it with you and I remember being quite freaked out. And apparently it has, I haven't seen it since then as a kid, but apparently it has all these scenes of like 60s counterculture London, uh, which was the hit place at the time. But just the images of him staring down with his hair all kind of, you know, sticking up all over the place. And he's in this intense, he was obviously taking off people's faces. That's what he's supposed to be doing. I remember that having actually a big impression on me at the time. But again, I, I, I seem to get hit with the howitzers when it comes to the scares. So, because that would have been the summer of between grade what was summer? Being? Yeah, there was, it would have been the summer between grade four and grade five, I think I saw The Exorcist. And then the, the summer between grade six and grade seven, my family took a very long trip to uh, the United Kingdom 
for like six, seven weeks, I believe it was. And we, we ended up staying at this one place in Scotland, which was the father's, one of my father's friend's houses. And I did not have a VCR at the time. And they let me sleep up in this room and they said, you can what, use the VCR if you want. So I'm like, oh, score. So I ended up seeing two movies that made a huge impression on me, both very disturbing in totally different ways. Uh, when we talked about the second film, it was not a horror film, that was Dirty Harry, the first one. But the first film was the... Um, was uh, again Halloween. So Halloween is definitely a game changer. There's, uh, you know, when you're looking at a horror movie, there's before Halloween and there's after Halloween. At least if you're talking about the modern sense. So if you're going from starting, if you, I would argue the first real modern horror movie is uh, Psycho, 1960. And o- over time, you start to get um, a gradual fading out. I mean, there's still people making Frankenstein and Dracula films into the 70s, but they're becoming less and less. But they're, they're, even those type of films are kind of emptying the ante in terms of the blood and the gore and the sort of disturbing images. And then when you get to Halloween, so Halloween's a very interesting film because there's, there's about three or four precursors to Halloween in terms of the, what we call the, um, the slasher flicks. Um, the biggest influence on Halloween, which is a great film that I think people should check out, is one called Black Christmas, which is, it actually takes place in Toronto. It was made in the mid-70s. And they had a it, remake that came out recently of that. Yeah, I haven't seen the remake. I, I'm never into the remakes very much, but that's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, what's the point, right? Yeah. But the, the yeah, that film shows, um, and it's a more realistic film than Halloween in a certain sense because it shows things from the killer's perspective. And so you see... We don't see the killer, but you see from the killer's perspective. And it's one of those ones where the killer's in the house kind of thing. But with Halloween, again, yeah, this film is was like... Now, I had heard... I don't know if I'd seen. I don't know. Maybe I'd seen. I remember hearing from some kids in my class about Friday the 13th. And this would have been the first one. And hearing about um, the mom is the killer. And then seeing the movies where Jason was the killer. At least seeing the ads for them and stuff. But when I actually got to see Halloween, and I heard this hyped up, I remember you and I as kids, we would find like newspaper advertisements for like horror films in, in the theater. I remember you, you tell me about Halloween 3, the season of the witch. We didn't know anything about it, but it does look creepy as hell. What a great movie. I love that. And that is a great film. And it's, 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 never kind of, it's its own cult movie, I guess. But Oh, yeah. It's its own thing. I mean, that was the not original, a Halloween movie, though. <laughs> that was the original plan for what they wanted to do with Halloween. They were even thinking of talking about a Halloween 3 too. Like it would be like the first sequel that had like a sub sequel. What, 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 what was supposed to happen? It was, it was supposed to turn into a series where you'd have an not anthology, like you wouldn't have multiple films in the same. That's right. That wanted to go anthology. It was supposed to have a different story each time because yeah. they essentially killed off Michael Myers. Yeah, there was no point in doing another one. They yeah, were, and yeah, I love the Halloween three film, but the, but the um. Kind of sad that the world, like there was like that's one of these like multiverse pivot points where it's like, yeah, we could have been in that world with all these interesting Halloween, but instead we just got the same one repeated over and no, over. No, and, and it's terrible because the, the, nothing, in my opinion, was really good after that. I mean, no, the, the first the two, the, even the second what? one, was, I, was I, still, too. I don't get it. Yeah, no, no, movie? I don't get it. Yeah, and, yeah, and there was it, so it was interesting, but you know what's okay? Anyway, we're going all over the place here, but just seeing. What, I, what was so powerful, I think, about Halloween was this the ominousness of, um, uh, of the appearance of Michael Myers with that sort of plain white face. And the, yeah. one of the great scenes is when he's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is upstairs and she looks down and she sees him just standing out there. And then there's another scene where she's he sort of pops out from the hedge and then he steps back again. Those scenes are actually some of the freakiest scenes because it just has this ominous creepiness to the whole thing. Right. And of course, the music is, is absolutely awesome in that film and it really heightens the tension. Now, when later you find out that that mask is a painted over Captain Kirk mask, it kind of. Wow. It for you. But what was interesting, of course, it was and it created the genre of the slasher. And there's been so much said about um, the uh, the Halloween. But there's you know, there's just a couple of uh, amazing scenes that are really creepy in it. And one is the. um the scene when he he takes the one the boyfriend and he and he he stabs him on the wall and he basically sticks him to the wall with the butcher knife and then he's sort of watching the boys 
the guy's, you know, head tilts as he dies. So Michael Myers is kind of like watching it and then going to the other side and tilting like he's curious about the dead face. And uh, of course, the, the classic scene is when she she knifes him in the chest and she goes to, um, I think, make a call or something. And of course, he gets up just like the Frankenstein monster and comes right at her. And then what is cool about it? But then this got done to the absurdness in, in later films, particularly, of course, the Friday the 13th films, is when, you know, Dr. Loomis, a great performance by Donald Pleasance. What an amazing actor that guy was. Um, yeah. He just comes in and he, he lets all those bullets into, into um, Michael Myers and he goes over the, the balcony. So I'm doing all the spoilers if you haven't seen the original Halloween here. And when, when, of course, he, they creep over and, and, sh- and Michael Myers is gone. So it's like this, but it's, it's like this thing you infer. Is this person just sort of indestructible or is this supernatural element? But it's not really clear, right? It's not like a zombie flick. It's not a vampire. But it's yeah, not just a regular a monster. Right. It's not a the, monster. Right. So you, when you have the buildup of films in, in like the 70s, so there's this, the Jallo films are absolutely amazing um, out of Italy. And these are these are films. They're kind of like you know they're like murder mysteries with that are really violent and gritty, and you know the killer is always just some human who maybe a little bit deranged. But that's they they really bring a lot of the technique for how the sort of slasher kills happen in the films. Um, they're a huge influence on the American slasher, but they're very much embedded in a in a murder mystery. And there are still even within the slasher genre, there are those films where it's you know like prom night where it's just like a regular person being the killer. Yeah. But with, with what they did with Michael Myers um, is they kind of traverse that thing. Is is he uh, supernatural or not? And what was cool about Halloween 2 is they kept it going from the same night. Now, it had some of its stupid moments in Halloween 2. But when when he finally gets shot and he's burning and he's a, he's, he's a ball of fire, you're like, okay, now he's dead. That, yeah, okay. Five bullets, maybe he survived that. I don't know. But now yeah. he's burned on fire. He's got to be dead. So when they they sort of rejuvenate those killers in later films, I mean, eventually, if you get to, um, I'm sort of going all over the place here, but if you get to like Friday the 13th part, part six, you get a film where it's so funny because they, they find the dead body of Jason. And again, Jason got killed off in Friday the 13th part four, where it was uh, Corey Feldman actually as a kid. He just stabs the heck out of Jason like 500 times or something. And, and Jason's clearly dead at that point. And then in part five, they have somebody take on the mask of Jason and it's coming out. It's, it's a different twist on it, but what they do in part six. And then at this point, you know, this is basically the comedy genre is they have somebody stabbing Jason. Like they, they open up his grave and they basically stab him. And then with like um, a metal s- spear of some kind, I, I forget what it is. And, uh, lightning strikes the metal spear and that makes jason come back to life and then what they do in the intro is you know how you had the james bond scene where james bond walks across and just like that sniper scope and then he shoots the sniper they had the <laughs> fred uh jason doing the same thing at the beginning and it's just like okay this is now a hundred percent fun we're not really gonna scare you anymore yeah it's just, it's just become a, a, a kind of um its own thing but yeah. You know, you mentioned actually, you kind of touched on something, it reminded me that you mentioned Psycho and you talked about like what's behind Michael Myers and you don't really know what you're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the scariest scene in, in Psycho for me, that maybe this is kind of what Michael Myers in some ways like is tapping into, is when you, when that, when the, the reveal happens that you realize that Norman Bates and his mother are the same person. Mm-hmm. And that was so disturbing for me because at that point you're like, I don't know what I'm dealing with anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, I mean, now we can look at psychology and go da, 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 da. But as, as a kid or somebody who's not as, you know, doesn't know much about these things, even what schizophrenia is for that matter, <clears throat> um, you're just like, what is that? What is, and, but it didn't look like, it didn't look like craziness. Like, ah, it was like a kind of insanity that you're like, I, that feels real to me. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that thing could be out there somewhere. And Michael Myers had this kind of depth to him, even though he didn't really say anything, but just the backstory and the way that Donald Pleasance and the other characters are constantly talking about oh, yeah. it. 
I kind of was like, what exactly, what is this thing? Uh, oh, and oh yeah. And it was, you know, and it's very interesting. So just a couple of things. Yeah. The, the ending scene. And what's really creepy about that scene is also that. Like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, what do you yeah. want? You want money? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. The, the thing is you see the, you see, um, the, uh, um, the mom who's just a skeleton in the rocking chair and that's the big discovery that she's just she's been dead all these years and she's just yeah. the skeleton that's a freaky scene but with Michael of course they, so they so yeah I mean they're totally influenced by Psycho all of those slasher films because what you have in all of those films is you have a messed up um, family structure in some way and that will be the equivalent in of, of all the pretty much most of the slasher films. They hint at that. The majority of them, that there's some sort of um, problem in the development of the person. So with yet yeah, Norman Bates, you have the overprotective mother. And then with Michael Myers at the beginning. So the, the, the thing about that's really freaky about uh, Halloween is you, you get uh michael myers as a kid he's like a seven-year-old kid and he and his sister of course has this boyfriend who shows up and it's you know supposed to be 1962 and uh he has a you know they have i guess it's in for they have quick sex and then the boyfriend just leaves and the 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 girls dust upstairs and then the, the, the freaky sequence is is that you see michael myers walk in he, he goes to the drawer he takes out that big you know the big famous knife and then he he he's walking, and then there's this little mask, and then he, he puts on the mask, and you only see now the perspective from the two holes in the mask, and then yeah. you watch him go, you know, carve up his sister, and that yeah. that is definitely um, uh, a scene that's absolutely freaky and disturbing, and it sets the tone. So that's why you have that ominousness when when Michael Myers, like you don't see his face, you see his face briefly. Um, at the end when she takes the mask off, but also when he escapes from the, uh, from the insane asylum, right? And it's just the idea that this doctor had given up on him and the saying that he, he just stared at the wall and this was the most evil person I'd ever dealt with in my life. And so that's why he has that, oh, he's gone, the evil is gone. Like he's just, you know, over the top performance. Um, so a precursor that's super important there, though, is the film that many people have commented was just like a way of, um, of just absolutely carving through the naivete, naivete, naivete yeah, that's the word I wanted, of, of the hippie generation. And that's got to be still, hands down, one of the most brutal films ever released. And that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is 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 different in tone. I mean, it's it, in so many ways it was so ahead of its time. Well, it's, it's got the daytime horror aspect, exactly. Which is not rare, and it it doesn't come out of creepy. It literally is a hammer to the face. Which which so when when this group of sort of you know these and you know there were a lot of problems with people sort of, in the, you know, dropping out of society, going in and hitchhiking all kinds of places across the United States, particularly trying to get to like San Francisco and places like that. Um, and, and people would disappear. You know, this was the time when, when, when serial killers were operating and there was this naivety, I can just go hitchhike anywhere and people did actually get carved up. But oh, with, I, I heard a story this other day in the 20, I don't know if you heard the story of the Christine Collins and how her son was basically taken from her and they give them this other kid that was not hers it was a whole thing but the actual killer of her son basically had a farm and he kept these kids in chicken coops when was like, this what time period this would have been 1929 oh okay california this was east la this was east of la where oh, so farm this is going really really far back okay yeah that's going back to the 20s yeah but yeah you could probably going up to the 60s and 70s i'm sure oh yeah 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 the 70s and the 80s we had the, the whole serial killer phenomenon um, which seems to be less of an issue now, but but the thing is, where one of the disturbing things about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is when the, the when the guy gets when the guy and the girl first arrive there and Leatherface pops out and Leatherface just hammers a guy in the head with a hammer and he just falls to the floor and he just twitches. It's absolutely disturbing, right? So they, they walk, yeah, because he walked in and he slips on the bones too. Like the bones are everywhere. Yeah. And again, you have 
a family structure messed up. There's no women in that house, you know, and you have this whole structure where you have the dad and you have the, the, the masochistic son, and then you have Leatherface. And then you have grandpa and there's this, you know, it's for this is family of cannibals. Of course, it's based on stuff that happened in the 50s with Ed Gein, who would actually kill people and then make, you know, skin masks out of them and all kinds of things. Um, there's a great film from 74 about Ed Gein called uh, Deranged. So I think yeah, it's kind of cool. almost depressing, like, that, that to find out that, that that is based on a true story and that, well, you know, yeah, it's like, a, the depravity. It's of, from, yeah, it's quite different yeah. from, yeah, I mean, there's, there is a thing about truth being stranger than fiction um but yeah definitely texas chainsaw massacre if you show that to people even today people get freaked out i mean it has a level of disturbingness and i think one of the things about a lot of films that i noticed disappear in the 80s the 80s in starts to develop this i don't know how to describe it but the cinematic technique it's almost very glossy it's it's more high tech and because of that it loses an element that's freaky and what you said that gritty 70s tone and it's an independent film of um uh toby hooper who also did poltergeist by the way which you'll talk about in a minute um yeah where you know it, it it's got that grittiness to it that it just it's it's something very disturbing that when you start getting to films by about the mid 80s there's this glossy big production that does it it's not as ominous to me anyway yeah, anyway, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, why don't we uh we talk about uh poltergeist now? Um yeah, so um poltergeist was another movie that really sort of had an impact on me. And I'll tell you another sort of story from my childhood. I'm sure you've heard this before. Um possibly like the earliest memory I have in a way. Um, although it's not a real memory, I think it's a memory of a nightmare, is me actually standing in my in a crib. And there's this head of a duck, kind of like a cross between Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, like a kind of a cartoonish duck, but nothing specific. Mm-hmm. And it's just talking to me. And I don't remember what it ever said or, or what it's what it's like. It wasn't talking in a mean tone or a good tone. It was just like, this is wrong. I know this is not real or this is not supposed to happen. And I just remember calling for my parents like, mom, dad, like there's something in my room. And this duck, this duck thing just kept on talking and just ignoring, ignoring everything else. So I guess when I was a kid, like uh, even around my house, I had this wallpaper with um, these marching band. I think a lot of kids had that wallpaper, but they had, they kind of looked like clowns. My parents, like my mom had like a Mayan calendar or an Aztec calendar hanging up with like that, that kind of face in the middle. That's kind of creepy. And for me, like, so as a kid, I think I was always like when my house I was kind of um, freaked out very easily by like art or things that looked like they could come alive. And so this idea of something in your house coming alive, uh, I was very primed for it. And what Poltergeist had a couple scenes like that, that I were super relatable to me. The first was the, the tree. I lived also like I, my, our house backed onto, um, well, basically, I was my bedroom sort of was was overlooking the backyard. And there was a huge, I'm gonna say it was like a Norwegian maple tree or something like that, and it was nice actually in that it you know kept the, you know kept the shade like the sun out and all that. But it was like I lived next to this tree, and in the in Poltergeist, um, if you recall, like the the son, he also has this big tree right outside of his window. And this tree was like, I never really thought of a tree as a menacing thing before this movie, but you know, there's that great scene where the lightning, a storm comes and then, um, you know, the, 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 the boy is talking to his dad and, and dad says, you know, you can tell how far the storm is by counting the, the, the seconds from the lightning to the thunder. And if it gets shorter, you know, it's moving closer to you. And so this like, this sets up this wonderful kind of tension where it's like, you see the lightning and he's like, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And then you're, and then the lightning goes again, one, 1,000. And then it goes, and so it's almost like the storm is like coming closer and closer. And then just as it, it just as it kind of climaxes, the tree's branch just goes, and there's just, you know, plucks him out of his bed and devours them in some way it's not even clear what happens mm-hmm. uh, of course they rescue the kid and and they get him out of this this tree somehow but 
Um, that was the first thing where I'm like, holy crap, like this, I can to totally relate to. Um, but then of course the, the scene that really put things over the top for me, actually there was an interim scene that kind of freaked me out too, which was the bathroom scene where there, there's yeah. that film crew that shows up and, you know, they go into the bathroom and the light kind of changes in this funny way. And the guy's like picking at his face. And the next thing you know, he's just, just chunks are falling off of his face. And like, you know, again, this was just terrifying for me. Um, almost like a kind of a Cronenberg type of horror there. You know, this idea of your your body changing in front of you. I think, mm -hmm. you know, we could talk about Videodrome. But um, yeah, so the, the scene though that was the most terrifying, of course, is, is in the second half, in the last act of the movie where, um, you know, he's looking over at this, this clown toy that he has and he throws this jean jacket with like a Chewbacca on the back over it so he doesn't have to look at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, because I'm already primed for things in my room to come alive and all that, I'm like, I don't know what's going on with this clown, but I don't like it. And um, and so then, of course, like it's it's lightning again, it's thundering. And we see that, if I recall, he looks back and the, and the clown is now gone. The, the jean jacket is just on the chair and there's nothing there. And that, and that one moment, it was just, just terrifying because you're like, please clown, just attack me already. Like that, it's that moment. It's almost like you're looking for like a spider and you try to hit the spider and you, you take the, the magazine and the spider has gone. And now you're like, fuck, <laughs> what do I do now? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're like there's that that moment where there's that pause and it's that calm before the storm where the kid's like, okay, this is not good. The clown is not in his chair, and I have no idea where he is. And and really, what happens after that doesn't matter actually. But yeah. of course, you know, he's getting strangled by the clown and all that. But yeah, it, and it it's yeah, and it's unfortunate because the clown kind of has been done to death now. But I think yeah. that, because yeah, especially with like the it films that have been around. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I know things. a lot of clowns are upset about that, like professional clowns. But, yeah, and um, that's the thing. The clowns. I remember as a kid. I remember there was this person must have worked as a clown in the neighborhood. When I see the clown drive, I wave the clown. And the clown wave because he works with kids, right? But now, yeah, clowns have become sort of a creepy thing, but they weren't, they definitely weren't a creepy thing before. But of course, in, in Poltergeist, it was extremely effective, that scene. Yeah, once the clown actually attacks him, it's not so freaky, but it's that anticipation where you don't know where the clown is, for sure. What is the clown capable of? Where is it? How does it move around? Yeah, it's like, it's all these in your mind at that moment, right? right? of course. And so, yeah, with, with Poltergeist, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't know about this, but um, so two of the girls died who played um, the two daughters in the film. So, of course, there's the, the one... I knew about the other one. I didn't know about the other girl. Yeah, no, the other have... one's the more disturbing yeah. one, actually. The other one's the more disturbing one. So that girl, oh, okay. um, she died of some disease or some condition. Oh, the Lamia, I think. Yeah. The okay. But the other girl was killed by, I believe, her boyfriend. Oh, yes, I did hear about this. The older sister. Which yeah, is that was tragic. Yeah. What's happening. So, in many ways, that's the darker... Well, really, the, the darker story connected of the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I don't that, know. Just that last thing. Sorry, like I want to. Yeah, that, that. I mean, that's true for obviously, but um, uh, I think that's something that's not appreciated enough. Is that what? It, what do they call it? Negative space or negative capacity? Where it's like, it's not. It's it's your mind is filling everything, and like nothing is happening. And now, like, it just gives your mind enough time to start filling things in, and then it's like, okay, now here's what's going to happen. But yeah, it's those moments sure. of negative space, I think, are so terrifying. Absolutely. And sometimes it's just like the image of what you see before, too. And you you infer yeah. from the. So um, I'll mention two things that are very uh, they're kind of connected. So, of course, um, we had seen images in, in a horror movie book that we both had. Um, it's called The History of Homer, uh, Horror Movies. We'd see images of the silent film Nosferatu, which is still, you know, holds up with the images in that film are very freaky. It's, you know, it's created in the 20s. Uh, and it is the Dracula story. They just didn't have rights to the Dracula story, so they they called it Nosferatu. But you have Max Schreck and the images in with those long nails and that very white face and the very bulging eyes. It's a very, very freaky image. Oh, um, yeah. But there's another film from 87. That's more so than the remake by, um, what's his face, the Werner Herzog, like the original yeah. version. It just oh, yeah. Uh, hands down. Hands down, yes. 
yeah, hands down. And they even right. Shadow of a Vampire, they they talk about uh, what if this guy actually was a real was a real vampire, and I think that was quite a clever film. Um, not a scary film, but a kind of a very interesting film. Um, but the, the there's a great um, oh god now I've uh, now I've kind of gone a brain freeze. The film's from 1987. It is oh boy now I've had a brain freeze because we're live on air. It is a oh it's got here hold on I will check it out here. It has uh, oh Prince of Darkness Prince of Darkness from 1987. So oh, I can't and, remember um, that's that got Donald Pleasance in it too. Um, and it's this idea that they're connecting to something demonic in, in another world. But there's this scene where it shows the future, where this, this being comes out, where they're showing like camera shots of this, some, some image from the future and this being that's kind of like a Nasferatu type being, something with a dark cloak just coming out like this. And, and these sort of like, I guess, military or something freaking it. But it's just like, that's a real freaky image. And it was, again, what you're filling in with your own head. What is this image? What is this? Right. It's not like, oh, the big monster's coming at me. Right. I remember that even, you know, I was a high school student when I saw that. I found that freaky. And I think that film actually holds up quite well as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really, I really think like that, 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 that negative space, that mystery, you know, going back to Halloween and Psycho, like what is behind this monster mm -hmm. uh, in Blood Beach? It, it, it really, um, it has to be there for me. And, 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 uh, because otherwise it's kind of like, I think what, like you're talking about like how war became very slick and all that. And I think that kind of took away the, the, the sense of mystery. And then I think for me, the low point of horror was, you know, well, you could either say it was those scream movies. I, I felt that those movies were redundant. And then the saw movies and the torture porn movies, like, again, I didn't really feel that there was anything in there worth, no, I, I agree with you too. I mean, it, it was the first one was interesting how they're they're kind of pushing the envelope um, in that way with with the violence, but it was yeah, it, it eventually became yeah, the first song was kind of you. I give them credit for originality, but then after that, it was like, what is the point? Yeah, no, I remember I, we interest old films either, and I I think you can do something. Um, one modern film that I really did like the first paranormal activity. I felt that that captured that negative space that you're talking about where things were hinted at. I really thought that was quite effective. Some of the, this follow-ups, I still like them, but it got worse and worse as with most things. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. So, um, I, I think we're probably going to wrap up soon, but I yeah. just have, I'm going to do like three. Cause you I, talk about I nightmares in a damaged brain. Oh, yeah. So sometimes the way you describe a horror film is actually more scary than the horror film. Um, and just, you know, because remember, you're describing what you saw with some really horrific, surreal stuff. But just talk about quickly about Nightmares. Well, I'll just quickly tell the story. So I, I don't know what year this would have been. This was, I think, just the year before after Poltergeist came out. So like it would have been like 82, 83 went to um, to Britain, to Scotland. And um, I think my grandfather was babysitting myself and my cousin Ian. And he said, Oh, you want to rent a movie? And I, it, we, you know, we, he basically said, take whatever you want. And, it, and, and for whatever reason, I guess in Scotland, they didn't have the concept of like um, X rated or, or, or whatever, but I, I guess that, I made this. Sorry. Right? That's surprising to me because there was a whole thing in the UK called the video nasties where so many movies got banned in the 80s yeah I know I know Clockwork Orange was banned and, and all sorts of but I the rules were different well yeah. I'll just say this like I remember the rules were such that like I could rent anything in that whole store whereas I feel like in here um if I tried to rent a horror movie you like ask that, your like, parents please yeah you'd at least it probably was, it was my parents you know it's probably just the fact my parents were there and my grandfather didn't know any better so anyway doesn't matter we rented this movie called Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, although in North America, it's called Nightmares, but I actually kind of prefer that title, Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't exactly tell you what the movie was about. I do I, I do remember when we watched it, my cousin Ian ran out of the room about 20 minutes in and never came back. Okay. And so I knew right there I was... I was well, there was a pre I was there precedent with that, with me running out of the room watching Exorcist with you. Well, I guess maybe in some ways that kind of like grounded me at some level, but um, I just decided like, I have to watch this movie. It's like, it's too good. It didn't disturb me that much, but I 
but I there were certain things in it that like I didn't really understand the plot. I'll just say that right off the bat. For me, it was all visual. Mm -hmm. And there were two scenes, and I think we like we go back to these two scenes. It was one scene, like I think the plot of the movie was it was some kid who either um killed his family or his family was involved in some murder, but this this kid turned into a, a highly disturbed um older kid. And then I guess he was either imagining killing other people or actually killing people. It wasn't clear what was real in the movie and what was in his mind. So I think a lot of no, it was like that adult killing. Isn't that the adult killer in the film? And he killed his dad who was having some love affair with some woman. And he that could have been it. I think but that's the way what the, movie, yeah. the way that the the way I recall the narrative structure was it wasn't clear if something was real or if something was being imagined. And so it had a surreal quality to it. And I remember it was there was a scene where he's staring around um, this this room, and everywhere he looks, it's just um, this blood just uh, splatters on the wall. So he looks at a wall, and, and the wall just becomes um, splattered in blood. And it, it almost seems like he can look at somebody and just kill them by looking at them. So that that really kind of seared in my mind. And then there was another thing that kind of seared in my mind. And if I think about it, it's kind of similar to this experience I had watching The Shining. Um, oh, there's another film. With, yeah. kid with the Room 237 scene. Mm -hmm. And both, both of these movies had was essentially a naked woman. And in my resentment brain, it was a naked woman lying on a couch, but her only her upper torso was was put together. The bottom half of her body was just a pile of guts. Mm. And it was it was a little bit like that scene in like um the shining with room 237 where the where they, they, they go into the room the boy goes into the room and he sees this beautiful woman who's completely naked and then she turns into this kind of corpse and it's like really weird as a kid to see a shot like that because you like to see a full-grown naked woman is like especially back then it was like I don't know if arousing is the right word. It probably wasn't aroused because it was like prepubescent and all that, but just sort of like maybe like subconsciously aroused at some level. And at the same time, the, the juxtaposition of this gore. And yeah. it was like, it's just sort of like um, these contradictory feelings that are like kind of- Those things up. often go together in horror films too, right? Those, those yeah, things. exactly. So it was just sort of like this kind of feeling of like sort of arousal combined with like terror all in one and it just like you just feel like you're i don't know adrenaline or something like that um and again <clears throat> you know how it actually was happening in the movie and contributed to the plot I, I can't really tell you but i remember going back and telling you about these scenes and i just you know we described them in minute detail and yeah, you <clears throat> like a very surreal kind of experience a very surreal film right yeah and, well it was a, the way you described it was way freakier than we i i actually watched well, it was like you did like the same to me with Dark Crystal. Like you described the Dark Crystal to me in a way that was like very detailed, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I saw it. I was like, "Yeah, this is okay." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted yeah, to see the version just, that James did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember. Yeah, that was when basically my dad took my sister to see something called Sixteen Weeks or some teenage film, and I got to see Dark Crystal with my mom because <laughs> we couldn't agree on the movie, so it was kind of funny. Yeah, I liked that. I remember loving Dark Crystal as a kid. But yeah, okay. Yeah. It's still a cool movie. Don't get me wrong. Both of them are cool. Definitely. Yeah, you know what? Wrap it up. I, yeah. I think we should return to this conversation. And I think next time what we're going to do is we're going to come up with some recommendations for the audience and maybe discuss some films that are lesser known. And I think sure. maybe we can, we can go into discussion about that because definitely horror, horror is definitely, probably if I had to choose one genre of film, it's definitely my favorite, hands down. And I've seen so many different horror movies over the years, particularly older films. And um, I think there's a lot of gems out there. That should be more uh, widely known. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. And so I think what we'll do is we'll return to this conversation about horror. And then maybe in the future, we can analyze specific horror movies um, and just kind of go in about their influence or look at directors like David Cronenberg or others. And that'd be really cool. Oh, yeah. And anyway, yeah, it was great talking with you. It brought back a lot of yeah. memories. Uh, stuff that I'm still, you know, has left an impression on me and left an impression on you. And I really think what we touched on today was the way in which, especially when you're younger, it, it's it's not just the film itself. It's what your imagination does with it. Yeah, very and, much so. And kind of much the impression that it has on you at a certain stage of development in your life. But yeah, that's been awesome. So I've been talking with uh, Neil Hepburn here. 
and um, we will, uh, we're definitely going to come to a, a part two of this. So thanks for tuning in, everybody, and um, see you next week. I would like to thank my guest, Neil Hepburn, again for an amazing conversation about horror movies. Please tune in again to Exhibit for more conversation about the arts and culture in the late 20th century. Thank you.